If somebody's brain is completely split in half, like mine was, I was postpartum, I just lost my husband, my world, my everything, I couldn't even form a sentence, like I said. So one thing that a couple people did, I think they really did their research, which was great. They sent a text and it was, hey, send back A, if you want me to bring a meal, B, if you want me to come watch the kids for an hour, D, if you want some new underwear. You know, I mean, little things. I was postpartum. I didn't even have clothes that fit. And I was like, this is the most helpful text message ever because I don't even have the capacity to write back a whole sentence. So I'd be A, you know? And that was that. And then they'd show up and help with the kids or whatever it may be. And that was wonderful. Welcome to In Conversation series presented by Support Now where we dive into the messy middle of life's tough times and learn how everyday people make it through. Today, we hear from Instagram's Spilled Milk Mama, Julie Thomason, in her journey through tragic loss from grief to grace. Do you or someone you know need support right now? Support Now is an online platform that helps supporters to provide relief in the form of money, meals, and more to individuals and families in tough times. Through a single online experience, Supporters can direct their compassion in meaningful ways. Support Now helps people show up when it matters the most. Start a free registry today at supportnow.org. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. I know I've already expressed this to you, but would I say, since we've started doing interviews, you are the most requested person that I have been asked to interview. And for anyone that looks at your page, I genuinely believe it's abundantly clear why. Your corner of the internet is one of the most authentic, honest places on the internet. I genuinely mean that. Before we start talking through everything, though, for those that aren't familiar with Spilled Milk Mama, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about you and Spilled Milk. Sure. That's so nice. I feel like I, from the get-go, I tried to show a different side of life and motherhood that was not being shown on the internet. So I started Spilled Milk Mama when I was pregnant and had a newborn and it was pandemic and I didn't feel like anyone was showing the reality of life and motherhood. And I had an education background and I had taught young children. And so my goal was just to show parents some easy hacks at home, how to do some sensory bins, little things at home, and just show the reality of young motherhood. Fast forward five months and my little baby boy was born and I had a, I guess she was 20, 21 months old at the time, a newborn and a not even two-year-old. And my husband was on a work trip for one night and he got in a car accident and never came home. We had met in high school. We were best friends for 10 plus years. You know, he was everything. And so then with everything that was going on, I ended up starting to share my grief story a little bit because it was an outlet for me. And since I was already kind of showing the raw truths of motherhood, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to share this because it helps me heal and kind of have someone to talk to because I didn't really have anyone to talk to. So I was like, I'll just talk to the strangers on the Internet. I don't care. I don't really care about anything at the time. So 
you know, I remember my parents and brothers and sisters were like, are you sure you want to post that? And I was like, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one. And then as time went on, it kind of snowballed where I really wasn't the only one. So many young mothers, unfortunately, I'd get these DMs and emails and messages pouring in saying the same thing happened to them or they were a young widow or they were 20 years ago. They wish that they had somebody to talk to then and all this stuff. And it just kind of started escalating to what it is now to the point where I was able to make it a full time job out of it. And hopefully, like you said, hopefully it helps other women just to see or men just to see the difference in how you can keep going, how you can, you know, life's ups and downs. I show the happy, I show the sad, I show the funny. Um, You got to make fun of yourself. You got to laugh to survive. And it's been a whirlwind and a wild roller coaster. And I think what's so beautiful about Instagram, the, the good part of Instagram or social media is that we can make topics that are typically taboo more mainstream. And I do truly believe that you were a catalyst and a pioneer on Instagram to say, it's okay to talk about this too. It doesn't just have to be the family photos and the vacations and all the good things, but truly we can unveil this, the deeper and like the darker parts of life that so many people don't realize that other people are walking through those exact same things. I, as a mom of three myself, I simply have such a difficult time imagining what that journey was like for you. I'm sure it is still surreal. I'm curious, first of all, what do you remember personally when you were first going through it? What were you feeling? Because part of the reason why I asked that question is people that want to help someone going through a tough time, the disconnect that they often feel is they don't actually know what that person's going through. So before I get to what supporters can do, what do you remember? What do you remember feeling? What do you remember needing? I'd love to unpack that a little bit more. So what's wild is I clearly remember asking another widow early on. It was maybe the second or third week because I was just a zombie. I was walking through room to room. I felt like everything was in slow motion. I could not form sentences. The only thing, I mean, I had a newborn. My focus was the baby's schedule. I knew everything in two-hour stints because that he ate every two hours. That's all I knew. And that's it. It took every bit of my energy to just be alive. And other than that, there was nothing. And it was a few weeks past, and I talked to another widow, and I said, how long am I going to just feel like nothing is real? I just, this is a bad dream. And I would have dreams where it was a dream. So I'd wake up and be like, oh, it was just a dream. And 10 minutes later, it would hit me. And I'd go through it all over again for months. And she said, oh, yeah, the um, shock phase probably lasts a good six months, I would say, for me. I was like, oh, six months. Okay, great. So I was just in shock. And I had no idea what was going on. Everyone did everything for me. My family was unpacking gifts that people brought. People brought gifts. People brought food. I didn't eat the food. You know, I was just, my family packed me up, took me to their lake house. They packed me up and we went to the beach. We, somebody was handling a person to clean the house. I mean, I just sat there and it was, everything was going in slow motion around me. So everything was delegated. Yes. It's almost like 
you didn't even know what was going on around you. Your job was just to survive. Like yes. you were truly in survival mode. Yes. Talk to me about what were the things that people did as you progressed through this journey that were the most helpful? So I remember specifically, there are a lot of things, but one thing that was really very helpful was my brother had contacted a bunch of different people that he knew in Atlanta and that were my friends in Atlanta because he doesn't live in Atlanta, but he made a list of almost a Google sheet that said the person's name, their contact info, and what I can contact them for. So it would be so-and-so, their number. You can call them for tech support, like if the internet's out or my ring camera's not working. All the things that Charles used to do. He was my yard guy. He was my technician. He was our handyman. He was a co-parent. He was everything. So essentially filling his place with those things. I had somebody to call if I needed to just talk. I had somebody to call if I needed emergency childcare. I had somebody to call. I don't remember every single thing, but he made a list of maybe 10 people because you can't even think that when 200 people say, call me if you need anything, who, who, who am I going to call? I have a thousand unread messages. I can't think like that. So I'd go to my little sheet and I'd text them and be like, can you come over this afternoon? I can't turn on the fireplace. Little things that you don't even think about. I mean, he had handled everything. I knew how to do nothing. You did know how to do things. Yeah, I learned. You, you learned. And again, I think that your life, you're in a state of shock. And so even the things that you might know, you've, you feel like you're incapable of processing or doing anything beyond what you were already doing. Uh, it's important now we call it like lending a hand. It's like all the little things that matter. On that same note, you've begun to dip your toes in it. What were the things that triggered you that created this, that's not helpful, or I wish you wouldn't do it that way? And be honest, because these are the things that people want to know about how they can support friends or family that might be in a similar situation. I think what was not helpful or just not needed as much was so many meals. I think that's a natural response that so many people were like, oh, we'll just bring a meal because she's not cooking. Right. I'm also not eating. That is last on my list. And I had to buy a deep freezer because I had 18 casseroles and I had nowhere to put them. And then by the end of the year, I just threw out all these frozen casseroles. And when I was really begging people for babysitters and childcare, and, you know, I think it went with a few empty promises. And I had a wonderful support system still. But, oh, we'll find you a nanny for a year. A lot of people said they would get you a housekeeper for a year. Those were the two main things I needed as a young mom. I didn't need 18 toys for the kids. They had plenty of toys. You know, I needed people. And I needed actual help around the house. And those kind of things fell through the roof. So I found myself six months later having to research and Google and pay money for all these nannies that I had to interview and one more stress that I didn't really have the capacity for, that if that could have been taken off my plate would have been huge. What, to that point, what are the things that people, you would encourage people to say? And then what would you encourage people not to say to someone like you in that spot? I think let me know if you need anything is it doesn't resonate with someone in that position. If somebody broke their ankle, sure, 
they're totally fine to tell you what they need. But if somebody's brain is completely split in half, like mine was, I was postpartum. I just lost my husband, my world, my everything. I couldn't even form a sentence, like I said. So one thing that a couple people did, I think they really did their research, which was great. They sent a text and it was, hey, send back A, if you want me to bring a meal. B, if you want me to come watch the kids for an hour. D, if you want some new underwear. You know, I mean, little things. I was postpartum. I didn't even have clothes that fit. And I was like, this is the most helpful text message ever because I don't even have the capacity to write back a whole sentence. So I'd be A, you know, and that was that. And then they'd show up and help with the kids or whatever it may be. And that was wonderful. And a few of my closer friends who I guess kind of knew my situation a little better, which they kind of spread the word for me, which was nice, is I was at the point that I was drowning in motherhood so much that all I needed was people. And I was like, please just show up at my house. Don't ask if you can come over. I'll forget anyway. Just show up and take over. (laughs) I don't care. And everyone's different in that aspect. But a young mom that was in my position, I just needed someone to show up and do something. Right. Do some dishes, clean the kitchen, do a load of laundry. I don't have any diapers. All of those little things that add up to being so overwhelmed that you can't do anything. Right. It's like, help me know what I do need. Come to my house, take inventory. Is my house a mess? Do I need more of this? Does the pantry need to be restocked? So that do that thinking for you because you don't have the capacity, the bandwidth to think about all the little things that you need to manage because everything just feels so, so heavy. That's what I'm hearing. And I think one of the things you said that we've learned and I've learned a lot about this through research is there is this element of decision fatigue for grievers where you don't know what you need, which makes it really, really hard for supporters to show up in a meaningful way. So what you're saying is just show up, obviously within means, if you have to have a certain relationship. But all in all, it seems like the response is lean in, take action. Don't be too fearful to go ahead and be proactive because if you're waiting for an answer, if you're waiting for clarity. No. I mean, I remember one time a neighbor just showed up with a gallon of milk and some diapers. And I was like, thank you. She didn't ask questions. She knew I had young kids. We're going to need both of those. And little things like that were super helpful because, like you said, I couldn't even form the decision fatigue was there. I had extreme memory loss. I had postpartum mom brain. It's the perfect storm of having no idea what you need. So it was really people coming in and there's no way to really put yourself in that position, but enough to be like, okay, this is what I would need. I can't even take a shower myself. So maybe she needs someone to bathe the kids. They probably need new clothes. They're growing and she probably hasn't gone shopping. Maybe I'll bring them some pajamas. Little things like that add up over time where it was too much for me to process. On top of, you know, now I'm taking care of all the bills. I need to find the passwords. I need to, all these things. Yeah. Again, it's just like a mountain that you feel like you're climbing that you never get to the top to. And and I think that's the way it is in motherhood in general. And then you add in the loss that's just so, so, again, heavy. You know, I don't know if there's been a situation since Charles has passed, but 
how do you respond differently now when you hear someone's going through a tough time? How has it changed your point of view or the way that you take action? And can you give an example? Thank goodness. I don't know anyone personally that this big of a tragedy has happened. But when, you know, my friend the other day, not the other day, a couple months ago, her daughter was in the hospital and immediately I went over there and I brought her coffee. I brought her breakfast and she wasn't eating. And I was like, I'm taking care of you because everybody's like, how's the baby? Of course. Yes. How's the baby? How's she doing? Have you eaten? Have you taken a shower? What do you need? And brought them dinner. And, you know, we set up a meal train and all the things that I think I would have not even, I'd been like, are you okay? And then that'd be that. Right. And now I have a very different perspective of, oh, someone's going through something. They need all these things. Let me send you diapers. Let me send you wine. Let me send you whatever. Right. It's like, let them tell you no versus waiting for them to to respond or again, or to ask for it. And it is interesting. I think that's a good point where in our culture, we also tend to focus solely on the patient or the person that's going through the thing. But we forget that that thing affects a whole lot of people. And being cognizant of, you know, and, and sometimes there's more degrees of it. There's the primary caregiver, which in this case would be your friend, but then there are maybe our secondary, where the, the, that's her parents or siblings that are also feeling affected right. by that. And so knowing that there are multiple people you can support, even if it's not that direct person in that mm-hmm. particular case. I'm also just curious to learn from you. Again, you, you talked a little bit about this, but I want to go back to it. Let me know how I can help. It's a very open-ended question, which makes it very, very difficult to answer. Does anything else stand out to you? Because again, I think where people get stuck is just don't want to say the wrong thing. So even in condolences, were there anything, are there anything in condolences that were either said that you really appreciated versus things that were said that really didn't strike a chord as much? I don't think there's a wrong thing to say unless you're like, I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. Not at all. You don't. So bye. Um, (laughs) Except for that, there's anything is nice. But I think I remember having a conversation with my mom and I was like, if one more person says they're praying for me, I'm going to lose my shit. Not that that's not great, but it doesn't do anything for me right now. Right. I, you know, it's just you're in that space where you're like, great, can you bring him back? Yeah. And you just, there's a, you know, anger is part of grief and that's, you know, one big part of it. And I think one of the most helpful things that anyone ever said was like, this is so fucked up. You don't deserve this. And I was like, you're right. It is. And be like, this sucks. Like someone else just saying this sucks. Yeah. I was like, yes, it does. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. And that was like, yeah, you're right. And I think everybody's like trying to lift you up. And at the beginning, you don't want to be lifted up. You want other people to acknowledge how terrible this is. And that's a big thing because I didn't want people cheering me up. Why would I want to be cheered up right now? Right. There's time for that later. I need people to acknowledge that this is the worst thing that could happen to me right now. Yeah. It's like you just want honesty. So instead of trying to make it flowery or that we're going to just we're going to use really pretty words or themes to kind of gloss this over, what you were really seeking is someone to feel what you felt, which is that rage, that anger. It's like, why me? Why now? How could this be? 
And I think that's such a profound observation in yourself because it's okay to say the things that you think that someone is feeling, which is, this is unfair. And that's a very relevant feeling. Like, that makes sense to me. But you're right. We tend as supporters to instead just say, I'm so sorry, or I'm praying for you, which is a beautiful sentiment in its intention. But depending on where you are in that journey of grief, you're not actually meeting the person where they are. Maybe a year later or two years later, you can say things like that. But in that moment, just be real. You need honesty. And I think I had so many people tiptoeing around me that I got to the point where, you know, I'd walk in a room, everyone was whispering, they'd stop. They'd be like, how are you? Uh, And I'd be like, what were you talking about? You know, you can include me in the conversation. I'm not, I'm still the same person. Not really, but you can talk in front of me. I, you know, I'm still, I'm still alive. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's just that honesty factor where you, I just needed someone to be acknowledging that this is terrible. We don't need to sugarcoat anything right now. What about um, support over time? So um, the observation we see all the time is that there tends to be a really large stampede of people that come to the rescue or try to come to the rescue right when the big thing happens. And then over time, I kind of hope that that looked a little bit different as you've gone through this process. I think looking back, you know, I had someone stay with me almost every single night and come over to my house every single day for a good six months, which is longer than most people. So, you know, I can't complain, quote unquote, in that aspect because it's longer than a lot of widows get because I had a great support system. However, like I said earlier, that shock factor tends to start wearing off. And so when I really needed the most help was kind of at after six months and that year mark when the fog lifts and you realize, oh, this is my life forever. This is this, permanent. This is permanent. Because I think in my head, I was like, oh, you know, well, after six months, I'll feel better. Or after a year, I'll feel better. No, you don't. When it gets warm, I'll feel better. No. None of the normal things that would make you feel better before make you feel better now. And it's taken me a long time to realize that because I'll, I'll have these dates like, oh, well, if we get, I get through the holidays, I'll be fine. If I get through the kids' birthdays, I'll be fine. If I get through the anniversary, I'll be fine. No. And so people kind of started to fade off. And, you know, my close friends, they were tired. I didn't and I felt guilty asking them for help at this point. So I do think it would have been so beneficial if maybe at six to eight months, a new group came in or a nanny stepped in or something was set up where when I hit that dive of the fog lifting and reality setting in, because that's when I stopped eating. I started drinking a lot. I didn't leave my house for days because I couldn't even have the energy to put the kids in the car because that takes an hour, as you know, with little kids. I would miss all the birthday parties because I couldn't get there. I would have loved for them to go. I would have loved to go, but I need someone here to help me get them in the car. At the beginning, I called a lot of friends if I was going to visit my parents or something to literally watch the kids for 30 minutes so I could load the car. Because these are things you don't think of with a newborn who's starting to crawl and a two-year-old. I can't leave them alone for two seconds while I put groceries in the car. It's little things where you need two people. 
And so once it was just me, 90% of the time, I really went downhill physically and emotionally and mentally in all of the ways. And when it starts, you start realizing like, oh, this is forever. And then you don't feel like you have anyone to call because you've exhausted all your resources is the loneliest feeling in the world. So that's a great question. And that's, that's a good transition. What do you suggest as like a check-in, whether they're close or distant friends that want to get better at checking in and seeing how someone might be able to help many more months kind of after that moment. What do you suggest to those people that want to be helpful? How should they approach that? I think if you're in the inner circle, because, you know, there's there's inner circle and there's outer circle. If you're in the inner, a specific text message or call of, can I bring you groceries this week? Or can I come babysit the kids one night this week? Not what can I do, but can I come clean your kitchen this week? And then it's a yes or no answer. Yeah. Yes. When? Now. Yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I think if you're in the outer circle, you text one of her best friends or his best friends and you say, hey, will you see if she needs help with blah, blah, blah right now? Right. Or tomorrow I have an hour of free time. Anything. Now there's delivery. Send some Instacart. Send some groceries. Send anything. You can deliver a whole outfit for the kids from Target. So you don't even have to really show up physically if you don't have the time, but you can do something. I think it's having a specific question, asking them what they can do. Yeah. And I feel like supporters also, sometimes it can be nerve-wracking for supporters to lean in and ask if they can do something, but maybe if like doing it with somebody else. So they feel a little less awkward. It's a little less uncomfortable for them. Because again, everyone's just walking on eggshells. No one wants to offend. Everyone wants to do the right thing. So it's one of the recommendations like we've seen and heard is, well, try pairing up with somebody and doing it. And that way, maybe you don't get the response you want, but you feel like it's a kind of friends coming together to do the right thing. And, and I think that may also make it easier for you to accept that help, because what you're saying is it's not just is there support? Is it is it that are you willing to ask for help? And maybe even more importantly, are you willing to receive that help? Because people want to know that that gesture is going to be accepted and acknowledged. Yes, I will say that was a big transition, and I'm really glad everything is hindsight. I, with Charlie, who was the new baby born during that time, I had a pretty rough pregnancy, and I remember talking to my doctors and everything, and they were like, you need to ask for more help because I was having this leg issue where I couldn't really walk. And so they were like, you need to ask your husband for more help. And babysitters. And so I kind of started transitioning into opening myself up to have help because as moms, you want to do everything yourself. And you're like, no, I can do it. And so luckily, I had transitioned my mindset a little bit before that, because I think that's one of the biggest things, too, is you feel guilty for asking for help. Right. And like you said, the buddy system worked really well. I had a lot of, not a lot, but a few friends who were kind of on the outer circle where they wanted to do something. So they'd come with one of my closer friends or they'd bring their child and it'd be a play date. And that way it was way easier. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to come help you because you need help. But my kid needs a play date. Right. So I'm going to bring your kid over to my house so that you can have alone time just so they can play. 
And that's a win-win for everyone. I think if you're not good at asking for help or you know that person is not good at asking for help, you can word it in a different way like, hey, I really love tacos and I want to have Taco Tuesday, so I'm just going to bring them to your house. Right. You know, you can word it in a you different way. You can make way. it playful. It yes. doesn't have to be sad, right? I've like, been you could... craving a margarita. We're going to make them at your house. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, things like that that you can do it in a way that doesn't make them feel like, oh, woe is me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great place to kind of, again, to pivot a bit. I'd love for you to share, because there is a, a happily ever after here. Uh, yes. Where are you now? So it's been a little over two years, and I have found happiness and joy again, which was, you know, one of the things that I had talked about a ton a year ago this month. I went on a first date with a mutual friend. I had met him at a wedding six months earlier and ghosted him. I was like, no, we're not there yet. (laughs) And we went on a date and I had told everyone I am not doing anything serious. I'm going to meet a ton of people and go on private jets and just do my own thing. And they were like, okay, that sounds like your personality. (laughs) And they all knew I was lying. And I ended up (laughs) You know, I had told him that, too. And so he was like, oh, you want to go on this trip? You want to go on this trip? Like, let's let you have some fun. You deserve it. And then fast forward 10 months and we just got married and, you know, we just bought a house and he's like Insta dad and he's loving it. And here we are. I would have never, ever guessed in a million years that I'd be where I am a year ago or two at all. I want to ask you kind of an this may be a little, little, not awkward, but like vulnerable question. Like, do you think there's something that you did or do you think that your support system, did any of those things in your mind give you the ability to be where you are today? Like, I would imagine it requires so much strength, emotional, mental, physical, all the things, spiritual, to get to a place where you can accept a new future. What would you say are part of the reasons or part of the factors that you've been able to begin this new chapter of your life? I think three of the biggest things would be my best friends. I mean, they turned into my family immediately because I don't have family in town. So they were there every day and they were there to make me laugh when that was the last thing I wanted to do. And they were there with the margaritas and pretending everything that I was going to be totally fine. And I was like, yeah, one day I will. And they made me believe it. Yeah. And so did therapy. (laughs) And that was a big thing was finding the right therapist. And I won't, that was probably the biggest thing. But I wouldn't have been able to go if it weren't for my support system. You know, there were some times that I had an appointment, but I had kids. So they'd come over and watch them so I could go. It was all a group effort. Right. And also medication. (laughs) Because... I was postpartum and then I was clinically depressed immediately and I had never felt anything like that. And I won't discount or discredit that because there's no way I'd be here without any of those things because all those working together, I feel like I could breathe slowly but surely. It wasn't like, oh, one day I'm good. I still have lows and highs and in the middle and why did this have to happen to me? I can't believe this is my life still. But all in all, you know, I've gone from down here, up and down to, you know, not so much. And I think as each year goes on, I'll feel a little bit 
better. I really do think creating that friend group, that support group that's going to really show up. A lot of my best friends now weren't my best friends two years ago. Yeah. It's the people who showed up and then stuck around. So that, I think that's the difference. The ones that are still there. You know, I had a friend take me out shopping like two days ago because I wasn't having a good day. The ones that are still checking in because they know that it's never ending. Right. You're just evolving and, mm -hmm. and they're along the journey with you. And I do think it's such a good point that we tend to, as humans, we love to show up during the happy things, mm -hmm. but it's the people that show up when life gets tough and they continue to show up regardless of the circumstance. Like that's where real like friendship and compassion like lies. It lies in, in those moments and not necessarily in, in the weddings and all the wonderful celebrations. I want to, again, I want to thank you because I think the three things that you just mentioned is exactly why people love following you. That's why Spilled Milk Mama is what it is because you are being honest. You're talking about things that don't often get talked about in a public manner, like medication right. and mental health. We're very lucky. We're in a generation where those things are being highlighted more than ever before. But that's partially because people like you are okay leaning in to say, yeah, I'm not superwoman by myself. All these things combined allow you to move forward and to be present right. for yourself, for your kids, and, and for your future. So amazing. All right. So one more thing we're going to do. Um, we're going to do a quick rapid fire. Oh, I love it. Sit up tall for this okay, one. Okay. So take a sip of my coffee. Yeah. Take, okay, a, take a sip. I'm excited. Get, get ready. Drum roll. I'm loose. Okay. Seven questions. Okay. Food or money for food? Food. Flowers or no flowers? Flowers. Do you believe in prayer? Yes. Calls or texts? Texts. One word to describe Charles. Thoughtful. One word to describe Sean. Humble. And one word to describe yourself. Badass. You are. <laughs> yes, you are. Julie, thank you. Times a million. This was everything I hoped for. Again, you're honest, you're real, and you're such a bright light not just for widows, but for anyone that's going through a tough time, including as simple as motherhood, which is, we all know, oh, is so, so hard. It is. And you did just write a book. I'd love for you to talk about that. Oh, yes. So backstory, which I haven't really talked about yet, is when I was married to Charles, he always wanted, I was a teacher, and he always wanted me to write children's books. I had written a couple when I was on my first maternity leave, yeah. and he'd read them, and he just thought, oh, you could write children's books and you wouldn't have to teach anymore. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no one knows who I am. That would not go well. But I love your support. So fast forward to now, and I wrote a grief book for children because what I had discovered, again, with support of a whole different topic, but there's not much for little kids regarding grief because it's tricky, taboo. You assume they're not going to go through it, but they do. Everybody gave us these books. They were terrible. I would never read them to my children. I threw them all away. I was like, oh, my gosh, what does it say? You know, and it just was so not appropriate. And I just had a conversation with my daughter one night that sparked an idea. And I ended up writing it, and it just came out. And it's called Why Did the Snowman Have to Melt? And it kind of sheds a light on when you lose something or someone or whoever you want it to the snowman to represent, you can still find joy in life. And they are gone. I think the tricky thing for kids is when I would say he's in heaven, they didn't know if that meant 
oh, he's at work or he's at golf. <laughs> you know, he's going to come back. So a, a snowman melts and he is gone. But flowers can grow in its place. You can splash in the puddle. You know, there's other things. You can be sad. It is sad. But you can still find joy in life. And so I think just that whole message in general is kind of my message that I send to adults in a kid way. I think it's so beautiful. I think it's so beautiful. As a, as a mom of young children, it's truly unimaginable to try to think through that part of having to push forward, not just for yourself, but for your children. So you're amazing. Thank you so much for giving uh, so much of your time and your heart and your honesty. And we appreciate it very much. Thank you. I had a great time. I appreciate this. It's okay. too right. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to In Conversation series by Support Now. We hope today's journey has provided insights and strategy for times of grief. Remember, if you or someone you know is facing challenging times, Support Now is here to assist. To learn more or start a free registry, visit us at supportnow.org.